0: OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome everybody to uh, OPN's Ask an Angel. Today, we're with Kevin. Kevin's awesome. As you can already tell, we're having a great discussion about everything. Uh, Kevin... Uh, Comes across as being a British UK guy, except for he's a French guy who's landed in the British UK side, and he's kicking ass a butt over there. And uh, he's got a really (laughs) cool model and lots of great things going on. But, Kevin, I'm going to turn it over to you. Maybe give us a quick introduction on your background, on yourself, and what you guys are up to, and then one thing about you that nobody would know.
1: Right. So um, let's start with the thing that uh, everybody would know um, after a few words. I'm uh, French, grew up in um, North um, kind of out the outskirts of Paris. Um, first job was firefighter, then went to uh went on to many other things um, such as uh, photography, uh, logistic, uh, transport, and um, kind of were having my first 20 years in France. But um, when I looked at the clock and uh, I looked at what I wanted to do with my life, I knew I didn't want to stay in France because I was trying to do something else. Uh, I didn't really know what that was. And I was super lucky because um, uh, one of my best friends who was uh, much older than me and still is, um, was married with an amazing woman um, from Indianapolis in the US. And uh, she's American. Uh, she comes in France, uh, I think it was around uh, 28, 29. So, uh, so 2008, 2009. And um, and then uh, what I was um, telling her was like, well, I'm looking at doing something else. And I want to, you know, I want to see what the US is like. And then she says, well, why don't you go and, uh, you know, stay sometime in Indianapolis, you know, have, you know, my family and my friends, you know, taking care of you. You go there. I did not speak English. I was uh, I was just, uh, you know, barely speaking French, I suppose. Anyway, so I landed landed in London and in Indianapolis in uh, 2010 and uh, started to work for Remax in the US. So in um, in uh, real estate. And did this for um, a few months. Started to uh, kind of pick up, you know, the, the keywords to uh, sell houses and and some stuff. But it was very much kind of um, mind opening because the U.S. mentality for me was completely different than the work environment I was used to. So I've literally kind of um, I came I came completely changed uh, when I was back to France, and I I, di- I I knew I didn't want to stay there still. So um, I went to Australia, uh, applied to business school, and went to Australia, and uh, uh, again I was a bit far away from uh, from um, the family and stuff. But it was amazing experience working with, uh, well, studying alongside amazing students from all over the world. Uh, and you get addicted to it. You get addicted by being surrounded by people who come from all diversity backgrounds, all sort of. Um, classes and you you know you you just get you know so addicted to it so um, in 2014 I landed in London Uh, it was for me two hours uh, from um, where my family was and um, I'm studying I'm studying economics and uh, after two months um, studying one of my lecturer comes and one of my lecturer comes and says well I'm starting a business right now we are you know, a media company working in in the financial services industry. Do you want to come and do it with me? So um, I started kind of um, taking off a, um, a small startup, that, um, basically taking the business off the ground, to, trying to raise a bit of money, building the network, doing some business development, marketing, kind of touching everything when you are doing a, a small startup. And I ended up building a great network of active allocators. So typically family offices, hedge fund managers, emerging hedge fund managers, and so on. So I ended up building this network, which was um, kind of almost like a gift for me because I knew nobody in London when I landed in 2014. I didn't here because I was following my, you know, a love or I I didn't come here because I, you know, I didn't, I did not know what to do. I just came here. And uh, I was just building this amazing network between be Monaco and, um, and London. And, uh, you know, so lucky, as, um, as is always, you know, the case when, uh, you know, in your career luck is always, you know, a big part of your success. I met a guy who says, look, I'm taking over the uh, CEO of Microsoft Ventures role. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, wow, that sounds like an amazing you know, uh, place to, um, you know, to be. Especially when you are in 2015 when there are not a lot of incubators and accelerators. I mean, they're just starting. I mean, it, it becomes to flourish like mushrooms. It becomes to start like mushroom, but it's still the very beginning. And there were not a lot of corporate venture um, arms and a lot of uh, corporate uh, accelerators as well. So then he t- he grabs me and say, "Look, I'm looking for somebody who wants to come and build a network, uh, build the brand, build a network, and support the portfolio companies for Microsoft." And that's how I ended up in Microsoft at the end of 2015. Uh, super lucky, um, backed by an amazing man who just believed that I could do the job. Really. So um, I built a network for Microsoft for, the four, for four years at the back of this. So worked pretty much with um, 200 companies uh, for five years, um, get to work alongside the leading VCs and uh, get to understand a bit more about how that world works because I'm new to it, right? I mean, 2015, 2016, I've never raised money from VCs before. You know, I barely understand how that works. And for four years, I had, you know, the chance to put a microscope on how a VC works, how they create their deal flow, how they do the, how they do their due diligence, um, how, how, what makes them choose a company. And I learned this for four years intensively. I just do crazy hours, and you know, and you know, and working during the weekends, and meet everybody I can because for me this is kind of a massive extension, to, you know, of my of my business degree. If you like, I'm learning so much from some of the best um, angel investors and VCs, and then um, I enjoy it. You know, I create the ecosystem, I bring people together, I connect the dots. That that's what I do. Um, and then, um, all of a sudden, one of the research I'm involved um, at, one of the research piece I'm involved at Microsoft kind of led me to work with um, London School of Economics, uh, the Open University, and Nesta uh, Innovation here in the UK. And the, the goal of that research was to study the impact of incubators and accelerators. Which is, again, it was for me uh, an amazing opportunity to learn the limitations of incubators and accelerators because there are so much of them, right? There is about, back then, there was 125 incubators in, in, um, in the UK and about 250 accelerators. Um, and uh, so I get to study how they all work and how, you know, what's their own limitations, what the different business models that goes with such models and whether they make money or not, right? And whether they are aligned with the, uh, with the success of their portfolio companies and how they start to make money. And all of a sudden for me, then this picture became complete. I knew precisely how a company would raise their first 50K check and what kind what kind of terms they we should go um, they should go for and uh, where to find that money and what kind of investor you don't want to take the money from right up to kind of you know working with companies that close 110 120 million from large u.s investors doing you know uh series b rounds so so i've covered all of this um and um you know spent a lot of time into the details of that and also looked at how those companies were emerging and supported by the economy by the ecosystem as a whole and that's how we came up um, with uh, my co-founders about. about Creating a private startup ecosystem, a private um, market network, as we call them, which is concealance Ventures. Amazing! So
0: you were also the youngest firefighter as well, were you not? <laughs>
1: yeah, I was one of the certainly one of the youngest of my region, and certainly one of the youngest, you know, in France. Yeah.
0: I like it. So you challenge everything. That's that's the best way to go about it. So. In, the, in all this experience you had, including Microsoft, it sounds like you really started to build a flavor for early stage investing and how it works. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, which is an amazing space to be right now.
0: It is. And it seems like every day there's something new popping up and uh, everybody's going after this space like never before, uh, which is pretty amazing. Um, and. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, consolidation and weed out over the next two years, because as everybody moves into a space and realizes that how tough it is, that, um, things will start to kind of feather their way into other areas. Right. Just like, uh, the marijuana space went really quickly and then dissipated down. And now like every sector starts to get a lot of attention and, and then it spreads out when it realizes that it, it's tough. This isn't an easy space. So is there, there was one line that you guys mentioned that, and I think it, it really defines kind of where you guys are now. Um, and it was said, cash is king. And uh, maybe you can define a little bit more on what you mean by that in the world of a startup.
1: Yeah, uh, I can't remember exactly where you saw this. We certainly think that cash is not the king. Uh, we really think that actually talent is uh, scarce. Uh, and uh, cash is abundant, right? We're not going to go down to what's going on right now with the rescue plans of various governments around the world, right? We're not going to be talking about quantitative easing, but in reality right now, when you look at, um, uh, let's look at a macro first, right? Um, governments right now know that the only way to grow their GDP, it's by investing in entrepreneurship and innovation right because that's the real economic tissue right it's 95% 97% of the economy it's small and medium businesses right now because of the advent of internet and you know and other companies other technologies that are built on the internet then it becomes so easy to create new companies Um, So software, you know, the cost of software, you know, has gone down uh, dramatically, right? It costs nothing to create software anymore. The hosting costs nothing. I mean, all of this becomes super cheap, right? Um, So it's actually not very complicated to put some sort of an MVP together and then pitch it to a VC or pitch it to an early stage, you know, uh, investor such as an angel. So And if you have something coherent and, and if you obviously get some, some buy-in from those people, they will write you a check. But the problem is, it's how you go from that to something that is a real business that will succeed so you can get your first 150k or 250k check but if you don't get surrounded by the right people very early in the process no, mat- no matter how much cash you have you know you're just going to be wasting the money right and the problem is that i think a lot more than before as much as entrepreneur becomes democratized the competition is also much more fierce it's a lot harder to win because there are so many people coming up with ideas and so so much capital floating around. So the process of becoming an entrepreneur, it's a lot easier. But the process of winning in this market, it's a lot harder, right? Because there's so much money going to your competition and then the market moves so fast that if you don't spend the money rightly with the right person after the right market, then – you're not you're not going to last right and you're not going to be the last right you know people talk about being the first at the end what matters is being the last in the market whether you start the first or you start the second or the fifth or the tenth who cares the point is do you really uh, you know build something which makes you last are you the last one you know in the monopoly Right when there are only three players, because there is the rule of three, right? There is, you know, there are always three, you know, uh, global players, right? You've got, uh, you know, uh, you've got it's the case for the train companies, it's the case for the telco, it's the case for the banks. It's, you know, in all of those countries, you always have, you know, three rulers, right? And all of the rest is obviously gone. So, you know, finding the money from angel investors, it's obviously good because it gets you going. But the reality is that this is not a game of money anymore. This is a game of being with the right people at the right time, using the, having the right discipline to do some trial and error, learn quickly, fail fast, restart again, doing do it again, and win. You know so um and if you don't bring the right people around you you're not going to be able to succeed
0: no and i love that and I, I think you when we were touching on cash is king i think it kind of referenced the fact that cash is abundant out there and you got to figure out a way to maneuver and work your way through everything to get to that win and you defined it quite well that you're not going to get there if you don't have the right team and a, and a great um, line that came—it was an interview I did a couple of weeks ago—and um, the gentleman said, "I would invest in a B product with an A company mm-hmm. uh, or, or an A team." And uh, it, it's so true because that A team will make that B product an A product. But mm-hmm. if you have a B team and an A product, yep. you don't have the same success, and it's not going to be able to turn itself the same way that you hope it will. So. Our uh, team is a is a big proponent to to growth and to figuring out where you need to be in a market.
1: Yeah, well, I guess um, the nuance is that it's not all about the team. The team and has a network, and this this is the, that layer. That's the, you know the team is the first layer of the onion, but the network of that team, you know, the second third layer of that onion is as important because it accelerates your sales cycle it accelerates your credibility it makes you avoid some mistakes that they've made before you know when we to, when we when we you know in our network when we talk to somebody who's done that for 40 years he's got the answers to the questions that you didn't uh, you didn't even ask yourself that's that's power you know of leveraging somebody who's done it for 40 years Who's seen all of the technology stacks evolving, and who understands exactly? And because the things are always the same in the end, you know they are always the same. So once they have developed this pattern to think, you know, think about something they've they've seen in the past, they will tell you, "I'm not sure I'm right," and that's usually how you see how smart they are. They tell you with humility, "Look, I've done this for 40 years." I've seen this working, but I'm not certain that that's the right answer, you know, and that is super, super powerful, as opposed to somebody who's out of university with a nice degree from one of the leading university, right? And who's going to tell you, oh, yes, I've got my MBA, I'm 25, 30 years old, and I've got the answers to everything. Well, you're gonna you're gonna have some bruises and some scars, and uh, that's just the way it is. And you've got to learn.
0: Agreed. So to follow on that, you made a you made a comment, which I can tell you that in all the interviews I've done, I haven't heard this comment yet, which is crazy because in the workspace that we're in, it tends to happen quite often that you hear this. But you said, "Fail fast." So. Your, your whole thing was trial and error and then fail fast. Can you give us an idea for the audience on what you mean by fail fast? Because I think people tend to think it means I'm working on something. It's not working. Shut it down and start something new. And I'm not sure that that's the terminology we're going for, but mm. maybe you can explore that a little bit more.
1: Yeah. So entrepreneurship and innovation is an iterative process, right? You never get it right. You never get it right. You know, there's, uh, unless, you know, unless you are super lucky, you are one of the very few. But, you know, the pattern is that you're not going to get it right. That's the foundation of innovation. The risk that you are taking is obviously unknown. And your job as an entrepreneur is to try to reduce that risk. You know, so all we do as entrepreneurs is, and as investors is we look at opportunities we don't have a crystal ball we don't know whether this is right or wrong we see behaviors we do our study we understand market dynamics we understand micro and macro trends that's what we look at and those things um and but the um you know if you do a triangle there you know there's what you control and on the top of that there is what you don't have any control of you know so we focus a lot more on you know what we don't what, what we control because if you con- if you control it if you if you really focus on what you control then you're much, you're much more inclined to succeed you know with the things that you don't control yeah so you know um, fail fast here means how quickly can you learn that's pretty much what it is. How quickly can you learn? If you're really learning something which is wrong about what you're doing, what it is that you are, what, what are your actions that you, um, you know, must take in, in order to make a decision? And you know, if you are trying to sell stuff um, and um, then you don't really see people buying, then you probably are not something, you're probably not in the right business, you know? So fail fast here means, and that's very much one of the big challenge that, you know, entrepreneurs are facing. It's because it's a lot easier today to find money from angel investors and early investors than from customers. Yeah, a lot easier. Super easy, in fact you know, especially when you are here in the UK, when you have massive, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, ta- a massive tax incentive where, you know, you know, the investor in the end, the, the SEIS and EIS investor is only taking 30% of the risk. You know, bottom line is 30% of the risk. You know, you invest 100K, worse you lose, you know, it's not even 30K. But if you... So, so that's, you know, and that's against... You know, it's great because it helps people to it helps you know people to get going, and it creates jobs. But yeah. the problem is that all of the sudden, startups then become almost like um, um, you know lifestyle, because it's so easy to put up up you know a, a slide deck together and then kind of do a nice hockey stick curve saying this is our business model, but you know the reality is much harder. So. Um, So that's what we're saying fail fast is like validate that you have buyers as soon as you can. And so long as they have not put some money and then they're not supporting you and they don't need to be 1000 people, right? You know, you can find 10 people who give you, who write a small, you know, uh, check for buying the product. You know, that's pretty much what, and if you don't fail, if you don't find this, you know, if you don't find this small group of lovers, early early adopters, then what it is that you should do in order to, you know, in order to do that. And if you are in the right, they're di- in the wrong direction, just, just, you know, fail, give your money back to your investors. There is no harm of being wrong because they are aware. They are aware that this is risky. They are aware that this is the, you not you don't know what you're doing. You think you do, and you have to be a bit, you need you need to you need to be a bit convinced about what you what you are after but in the end if you really don't see the early, early signs of success just give your money to you just give your money back to your investors you know and don't have sure anybody so giving
0: money back but um in in uh, i think overall it does sound good but you're right it, it's a shift and it's a movement that as you're building your company you're pivoting you're testing, yes. and there's a position where you have right. to make a decision. Can you double this business? Can you four times this business? If you can't, then how do you move into a direction where you can?
1: Exactly. There's exactly. There's so much value in humility here. If you go back to your investors and say, "Look, I, you know, I've taken your 10k check. I'm only able to give you the 5k check because I spent I spent half of it to prove or disprove that what I was doing was right or wrong. I'm now I now know what I've learned." I, I know my lessons. I'm going to give you my, I'm, I'm going to liquidate the company. I'm going to give you what's left. You take it. Next time I come back, I'll tell you a bit more. I'll have, I've, I'll have learned and I have much more chance to succeed next time. So I'm, I'll be more inclined to raise money again because I know that I will have created trust with somebody. You know. I
0: like that. No, that is, that is very valuable. If you could get entrepreneurs to think that way and go to that direction hey, you know what, you've got the money there. If you're going to be able to make the right hypothesis and, and build it out into a business, and if you don't, figure out where you can make that change. And if you can't, then fail and exactly. start something new, but bring something back to the investors that show, hey, they paid your time to do this. Now move on to something else that may be more constructive. And you'll probably find that that investor that came in the first time will come in the second time because they're going to see that you were true to your end goal exactly. and stuck behind what you're doing. So I love that. That's, uh, um, I guess we can preach it and hopefully maybe some startups will see that as a, a way to test or getting paid to test a theory. And if that theory works, then they're going to be able to be successful and they have a great team of investors and uh, other people supporting them. So that's great. So on this journey, and I've read a bunch of different things that you've written and you've composed around this. So maybe you can share a little bit more about how you envision and see a startup going through this process? Um, Because you're kind of in a way, you're trying to change the way VCs work and the way that they fund early stage companies. So how does that look to you if I start a new company and I come to you, Kevin, and I say, Kevin, I got this great idea. This is what it is. How do you see the journey for me from raising funds?
1: Yeah, so um, from from your point of view, and I'd like to go back to uh, your point still about, um, you know, the way we see VCs moving forward is that, um, you know, VCs are great on their own right. They do what they can with the model that is suited for purpose, right? Yep. So it's essentially, just to do a quick parenthesis on this, is that um, they invest a bit of their money, they prove they can find good companies and show some, and some some track record. They set up a fund. They raise the fund. They deploy the fund. They liquidate the fund. That's pretty much 99.9% of the VCs on Earth, right? Um, but they are super small teams and um, we know that some of those ones, they see so much deal flow that they are struggling to see that deal flow and curate that deal flow properly and make sure they obviously do the proper due diligence because what's on the website and on the pitch deck is very often different from what's you know uh, on the code base or what's on the bank account or what's on the customer pipeline. Yeah. Um, so there is a lot of due diligence and due diligence is super key here to be a good investor at Seed. You need to put your emotions away. You need to tell, I don't like this entrepreneur. Even if you do, you need to, you need to be so controversial. You need to be like, I, you know, almost like bipolar. I like it. I don't like it. And always find reasons not to like a deal. And, uh, and then that is that is going to be a gift to you because you're going to be spending so much time into the details that will make this business uh, kind of work or not. Yeah. So having said that, we think that all VCs are going to be forced to effectively spend more time with the companies that they enable, they 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 back. Right. Uh, If you look at the best VCs on the planet, you know, the A16Z and the Sequoias and the benchmark, they all have teams working with their portfolio companies. They do not. They try to reduce the uh, the uncertainty by being super hands on. They are they are large funds. They manage billions, you know, but they are super hands-on, they still have lots of people on their uh, uh, payroll and those are some of the best and they work with the portfolio companies. They just don't deploy cash and come for uh, you know, they, uh, to, the, come to the next board meeting asking you how, you how fast you are growing, right? That's very much what, what all VCs should do but the reality is that the model is so so limited. So you as an entrepreneur trying to raise money today what's super important is that you define precisely what you're trying to achieve yourself, what you are trying to prove as a company, right? What it is, is it your first revenue? Is it that you're trying to get to a certain level of uh, product maturity? Is it because you are trying to finance some market research and some product developments to prove your business model? What it is, what, are, what, is, what is it that you are financing? Yeah. Is it your product market fit? Is it, are you financing your minimum viable value? You know, how, what's the value that you're creating to a customer, which you can quantify and say, now I know my pricing, you know, what it is that you are financing. And truth is that money is not going to give you that, you know, money is just going to give you the fuel, but you still need to find the right, you know, the right direction. And obviously the the, the vehicle to get there. The vehicle being the team, being your operation, you know, being all of that. So, um, so um, yeah, I think you as an entrepreneur, the way we see this evolving is that we are a, a, a co-investment platform. We are we are working alongside um, other angel networks and, and VCs. Uh, and then and we are offering this platform for them to review deals more, effect, more effe- effe- efficiently, uh, for them to leverage their network and an external network better when it comes to doing startup due diligence. Typically, can you tell me what you think about this? Can you look at the cybersecurity side of this business? Can you tell me if this is going to scale? You know, can you tell me about the science? Is this GDPR compliant? You know, all of those things that are super important when you're making a deal. Um, then you really want to make sure that you've got. A good, a good network around your deals when you're before investing in because they, you can't see, you can't know everything yourself. You just cannot. Yeah? you can be, you can have great good feeling and you can write a check and be super lucky, but those are exceptions, not the rule. Yeah. So um, so you know, back to the story. As an entrepreneur, when you're raising money, you're going to be working with one of our VC or angel network partner they're going to be um, basically backing you. They're going to say, okay, well, you need four, you need 500K. We write a check of 300K, but we'll co-invest with Consilience Ventures. They are bringing the network of expertise to get you to your next, ob- to your objectives, right? To, to get you achieve your goals. You know, we think that you are an amazing team, but you need a great CFO doing, um, you know, half a day a week. You need the right... Um, COO, you need a, a, a regulatory uh, director. You need, uh, you know, one of the best lawyer. What that's what you need to start. You can't afford just to work with kids outside of you. You know, coming out of you know universities because they don't want to work for big corporates. That's not the right. That's not the right. You know. Um, uh, channel to hire c- customers it's great to have young kids you know cool kids you know 20 30 years old um, and uh, because they've got plenty of energy and stuff but at the at the end of the day what you want is you want to have people that can be accountable responsible and make proper decision right um, so that's why as a startup, the average the average age to succeed is 42 years old, right? It's, there's a reason for that. It's not it's because you know, you've got the Zuckerberg and you've got some others that are super lucky, you know, get into things and of course they, they are, they've got great backing, so they they get, you know, they, the market was with them. So you know, all the stars were aligned, but the rule is that you need to have lots of industry experience if you want to win. And you need to be surrounded by the right people. So, you know, to get the long story short, we co-invest alongside Angel investors and VCs. They bring the cash because that's what they do. We bring the expertise. And when I say we, it's sometimes them as well. The only thing they do is they're using our platform and our technology to invest, to invest their time into a digital assets because we have created this currency for entrepreneurs. Uh, by converting the shares of the companies into a tradable assets, So that's very much the scenario here. Now, we offer speed at the back of this because not only you work with the right expert at the beginning, you know, we've got the former CEO of uh, Firefox. We're talking to uh, the former CEO of HP. We're talking to uh, uh, for we, one of our investors, the former CIO of Santander Bank. Those guys, they have 20, 30 years experience. They don't bother much working for £1,000 or £2,000 a day. That's not what gets them out of bed you know what excites them is that they are building something super big that is going to turn lots of money in five ten years that's what excites it that's what motivates them and also because they enjoy being um, uh, you know uh, involved in complex challenges as well so all of this is nothing about money as you can tell which is where we come from
0: no i like that so in there, is there is there a different journey than you're taking from a pre-seed to a seed to a Series A? Uh, if we start with, with yourself, or yeah. you do, that, do you change the dynamics of this now because yeah, of the it's, invest?
1: It's a very good point, actually. You can, uh, you know, since we enable startups to um, convert their shares into a currency, to have access to a curated network of experts, effectively what you can do at the, as a result is that you can... Break down the fundraising cycles into small chunks instead of going after big, big uh, rounds. So, as an example, instead of starting, you know, a seed round at two or three million, you know, European, you know, average, um, you know, seed round size, you would, um, you would basically get going with 250k. You convert your shares. You can you convert 250k worth of your shares into this currency you you pay some experts and some of your employees some of your teammate, whoever to get to the next sprint right? what do you try to prove in the next six months you raise that in six months you have proven xyz your valuation is higher your risk is lower you rise again 250k k uh, much interesting much much more interesting valuation because you have there is the business so all of a sudden as an entrepreneur i i earn on the valuation because i don't get to spend my equities at the wrong valuation something that young entrepreneurs don't understand is how equity works mostly most most, most entrepreneurs we talk to they don't have a clue about what equ- the importance of good equity management No clue, Um, and um, even some of the serious, even some of the more mature entrepreneurs, because this is this is an art on its own. understanding equity management is king for an entrepreneur. Um, So, in the end, entrepreneurs working with consilience ventures, they get they get a better deal than if they are raising the next eighteen months of cash flow, because. When they, you know, when they raise 18 months of cash flow, you know, 10 or 12 months later this round, they are still paying, they are still spending their equities that they, you know, at the price at which they raised, you know, 12 months ago. Although the business is completely different because young startups are changing, you know, high growth companies are are different every six months you know every 6 months you are a different company so why do you need to raise 18 or 24 months of cash flow if you know that 6 you know 6 months 6 from 6 months from now you're going to be a very different company right why would you not be smart about this and just raise your next 6 months And the reason why today it's not done, it's because it's bloody hard to raise money. It takes six, nine months already. So when you do this for six, nine months, you want to do it only for 24 months, 18 or 24 months, because that's only what makes sense, because you don't want to keep, you know, spend your time doing this. But if you really focus on building your business and you really get your product right. And you really get your team right, and your exec team right, and then you go after a big market. Then you should be raising as little as possible, and then do it again very quickly. You know, and and and, you, and that's how we breaking we breaking this cycle down. You know, there's something emerging here. I mean, it's it's been around for a few years now, but there was no seed. You know, at the time of the Amazons or the you know there was no seeds. It was Series A right away, and then you had seed. And then now everybody's talking about pre-seed, and now now everybody's talking about pre-seed, seed, pre-Series A. So as you can tell, the the, uh, the, the you know the fundraising cycle is shortening. Yeah, it's shortening, um, and and of course then you you know you raise a Series B and a Series C, and then then you take your twenty-five million in the bank, and then you expand. So growth money, it's still roughly the same. You know, has, is unchanged. But the whole launching and growth phase, you know, the early days of the growth, of the companies is completely, you know, it's changing. And we want to do micro financing for companies, not pre-seed or seed, but just your project, get it, prove it, show us what you've done. And we do this alongside other VCs who are themselves writing money and of course writing checks and of course benefiting from the um, process of de-risking those businesses and investing at the right valuation for the right risk instead of just benchmarking.
0: No, I love it. And, and I wholeheartedly agree with you that you know companies will come to me and say they're raising million a million and a half dollars on pre-money valuation and pre-revenue. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you raise 500000 and show what you can do And then come in and do another race and another race and just keep doing micro raises because Because, you're pivoting and changing. You don't. You're not. uh, I guess the best example is that um, you're going to climb a mountain. You don't start
1: at the bottom (laughs) of the mountain. Exactly.
0: Climbing. You start way further back.
1: Exactly.
0: There's 15 trails that will get you to the base of the mountain. Exactly. We're going to pick the right trail that gets you there. So keep doing the things you need to, to get there. And then when you get to the base, of the mountain, there's maybe two trails that will get you to the top and you've got to really, at that time, you got to focus higher than, make sure you got the right teams, the right money, the right, everything to pick the right trail. Cause the temperature changes, the weathers are different and you're going to go through that growth. And I think we've got to get to there
1: first. There are some benefits, you know, there are some nuances is what I'm saying, is that there are some benefits of raising big chunks, you know, of money. It's because it helps you to attract, you know, some talents that would not consider you otherwise. But I think this is very much where finance is changing, is that the best people are not looking for money anyway. They're looking for real skin in the game. Correct. Yeah. They want. that's what the, you know, that's not what they are looking for. So of course, if you can say, look, you know, I've raised the, you know, 1.2 million, you know, um, I'm now ready to pay you a hundred K salary. Well, you know, you may be doing a mistake here because you, in, instead that person, if that person is the best person, that person may take half in equity and half in cash because you are much more, you um, you know, resilience cash flow wise, that's what really matters here. So um, at the end of the day, if we, but at the end of the day, you don't want to have 20 employees on your cap table because it's a mess, right? You don't want to do this. So that's why you create an ESOP and stuff. But um, what if you really tokenize the shares of the vehicle and you use this as a currency without having them on your cap table, bang, you know, problem solved. So all of a sudden you work with them and you don't sometimes those people are too good that they don't need to be full-time our cfo for example our cfo former cfo fizzy jet when when i started the company there is no there was no way i was going to take you know easy cfo full-time you know, but the guy was so brilliant that he needed to do half a day a week or something mm-hmm. and that's how we started and we did this for a year and then you know and uh, I really you know he became i was totally dependent on him because he is just a you know an amazing cfo and thanks to him we managed on getting get on securing amazing um uh tax claim um and an amazing r d credit and you know and and we were very uh wise in terms of money management very wise and it was only possible because the guys has done that you know for multi-billion dollar companies and he was also financing some spin spin outs of you know backed by easyjet and, and easy group so so that's what I'm talking about here is that you don't need to pay a full time salary if that person is the right person at the beginning. There is a point where you need to onboard those but it's gradual. So that's why you don't and then since hiring is gradual why do you not raise money gradually? Yeah? So that's, the very, that's very much the bottom of it. You have to raise money gradually as you onboard more resources. I love it. And, and it has to be synchronized.
0: No, it's, uh, I love the way, you, uh, the way you shared that. It, it totally makes sense. There's, uh, um, there's a totally a different way to manage financing and the way you raise funds. And I think a lot of startups will get a lot, of, a lot out of this conversation on learning how those different vehicles can work for them and how they can grow their team and part-time CFOs and part-time people can actually help them move, give them some shares, prove the business, and then slowly start to grow and build in those key areas of people that are going to really make other angels and other VCs
1: want to invest more. Much more interested. Yeah. Much more interested because you are a safe business and you know, you are a much safer business because you've got those people taken care of what really matters at this point and then uh, you, you you know no matter how many co-founders you have to start with there are always lacks you know uh, you know shortcomings uh, in the team and and then gaps right always you really? know I, I'm not going to mention any names but um, when I was at Microsoft with my team when we were doing the tech due diligence before onboarding companies we were working with companies that were very well funded by VCs, they had no tech. Absolutely no tech, and they were rising at tech, at, you know, at valuation of tech businesses with, uh, you know, a revenue multiple. You know that would make no sense, right? And there was no tech. So how does those how do those people with no technology, you know, get to raise that, those crazy valuations? Um, money from people who are Professional, because we're not talking about raising money from these from angels, which are largely unprofessional. There are some professional angel investors now. There are some solo sort of capitalists, but there are more uh, people that just do this as a side gig because it's fun, because it gives me, you know, it excites me, and then it's also a good placement because if I allocate a bit of my money there, I'm much more likely to get you know, some money back if I if I diversify well enough. And diversifying means at least having 50 companies in your portfolio. The problem with 50 companies in your portfolio is that you're going to be taking, it's going to take you a decade to get to 50 companies because you need to review at least 5,000 deals. And I'm not talking about investing in all of the companies that raise money for crowdfunding because, you know, the average returns of crowdfunding platform is very, very, it's, you know, it's close to nothing. So, uh, and that's why, you know, most crowdfunding platforms are not sustaining in the end is because the companies that are raising, you know, by um, like crowdfunding are, you know, are not that great. Um, some are, but uh, it's just very, it's a lot more difficult because there is a lot more noise. So, yeah, at the end of the day, how do you build a, ni- a nice, diversified portfolio alongside top players who know how to select companies and know how to take care of businesses and business growth without spending your whole life on it? Just leveraging a nice network of people who know exactly what they are doing, and uh, and by leveraging this network, uh, this what we call uh, wisdom of the crowd. Then you obviously invest in something that is, you know, by default a lot less risky, and therefore your revenue multiple may not be 30, 50 times as if you found the only unicorn because you only have 0.03 percent uh, or 0.02 percent to find a unicorn. You know, if if you don't find a unicorn. Then, if you find companies that exit at hundred million, then it's fine. It's fine.
0: Yeah, it's still a good win. No, I love it. That's great. All right. So now we're going to shift quickly into our rapid fire questions. Right. Uh, I think you and I can talk about this for a very long time because uh, it's both dear to our. Uh, our, our business models and how we work and how we invest. So I love it, um, but we got to jump into these questions and then we got a couple of questions to end it all off with, but right. uh, so far, amazing. Okay, okay. Uh, what's your favorite part of investing?
1: Um, well, that's a tough one. Um, it's uh, My favorite part of investing is um, understanding how uh, entrepreneurs think about the business they are after. That's really what excites me is that I'm learning so much the way, yeah, That's so that's what it is. So think about the way invest, entrepreneurs are thinking. That's what I enjoy the most.
0: I like it. Uh, how many companies do you invest in per year?
1: We've uh, we've made five investments this year. We're going to be doing about 20 next year. We're building our capacity to make 100 investments a year.
0: Awesome. I uh- any verticals that you like to focus on
1: we for now focus on on fintech uh, medtech and also uh, we also have strong capabilities in iot industrial cyber security
0: okay we have a couple companies you can check out all right uh any requirements that you look for before you make a commitment so uh, anything that's really stands out that you got to make sure you mention team before, but uh, is there anything else on a paperwork side that you really want to make yeah. sure you have?
1: Yeah, we have um, very uh, uh, disciplined uh, due diligence framework where we have about thirty data points um, per startup, but we also have broken that down into three different uh, company maturities. So we have thirty questions. Um, broken down into six uh, different categories that will go for pot- for prototype companies, uh, and you have the same for product market fit companies, or at least companies that pretend or believe they have rich product market fit. And part of this ass- assessment, it's also validate whether they have rich product market fit, or whether they have, or they, whether they believe they have rich product market fit. And then there is another set. There is another set for for scale ups. So. In the end, all of this is standardized, uh, and it's basically based on the company maturity, uh, yeah, okay. with some weighting and stuff. So
0: yeah, makes sense. Uh, do you lead rounds? We do both. Okay. Uh, any preferred terms? Do you care if it's prep shares, common shares? Uh,
1: we are we, we are flexible on we are we are we are a flexible investor. We um for. We sometimes we will, you know, we we'll take a board. Sometimes we won't. We're very much flexible. At it at the end of the day, not every deal is, you know, all deals are different. So um, we're just agile here. We do what makes sense.
0: Okay. And do you have a follow-up investment on the companies as well, at a percentage of that investment?
1: So um, at this point, we're looking at continuing investing into all of our companies uh, up to um, Series B and certainly beyond. Um, depending depending on the appetite of our network but given that we uh we reinvest uh on a um, performance basis so if they're reaching certain criteria we are investing
0: okay uh, any companies that stand out that you want to share you don't have to share the names but you're more than welcome any companies that you think are rock stars you really want to talk about
1: I think one rock star in our portfolio, emerging rock star in our portfolio is a company called Checkstep, which is doing amazing work in tackling uh, um, issues around quality contents, organic uh, user generated contents online. So the, the, you know, one simple but still bad way, sometimes, you know, simplistic, you know, is negative. So this is going to sound negative, but enabling uh, platforms to generate fake news and fake content, CheckStep is, is doing an amazing work there. But I mean, all of our companies are super exciting. We've got company tackling private debt issues, working with uh, uh, debt uh, and insolvency uh, practitioners. So they are basically uh, doing amazing deep learning to enable the aggregation of data and and the structuring uh, of data a lot more faster than anyone else in the market. We've got amazing AI for uh, premature baby. and we've got some uh, some cool tech that are just very good UX UI for wealth managers and uh, yeah so it, that's so the we've got a pretty exciting portfolio.
0: Awesome. Okay, so now we're gonna jump into two more questions, and then we're gonna have a couple personal questions to end it all off. So
1: okay, uh, I may have an internet issue at the personal question. You <laughs> never know.
0: All right. Actually, one more question. So based on all the things that you've done, everything you've gone through throughout your career to get yourselves to the platform you guys have built and the way you're investing and the way you're helping startups, is there any heartfelt story that you want to share that really defines what an entrepreneur is like someone that maybe went through a tough go and it succeeded or they went through a tough go and they decided that it wasn't working and they failed fast any great story that the community can relate to?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, You know, I think it's, I think there is the common pattern is that if you, um, if you if you're seeing that you're pushing too hard and you don't get any results, and I see this as a pattern across you know some of the entrepreneurs I admire, but there are a few ones that um, I prefer not to uh, mention. Yeah. They've gone through tough times, very very difficult times, yeah. and they and they exited. Um, in the range of $50 million. And they consider this as being a failure because they were building something very, very big. So yes, I've seen entrepreneurs suffering a lot. And then that kind of, um, I was, um, uh, yeah, I was um, not emotionally um, affected, but it was very hard to see how painful uh, this process of raising money was given the size of the opportunity they were going after and given the size of the problem that they were solving. And that's one of the challenges, which is some sometimes something that um, makes me really think hard about how we can change the way companies get funded. It's because real innovation, at least in Europe, rarely get funded. Very, very rarely. You, have, you don't have lots of, risk takers in Europe, you have lots of LPs, mostly governments. So you have lots lots of very conservative LPs. And as a result, really innovative companies not, don't raise money from European investors, which is why now these US VCs are doing their shopping here because there is a land of opportunities for risk takers because European Europe is conservative in comparison to uh, the US but the technology and the talents that is you know, growing up here is just amazing. And uh, it's just so frustrating not to see so much mo- more money uh, coming into this market because um, if, you, if, you bring, if you bring that um, capital and expertise to this, this market, you've got something amazing. This is the best market in the world capital, right? Europe is the best by far, you know, if, You know, before the US. Uh, so, um, of course, there is less venture capital money flowing. Um, but the um, standard um, of living here, it's very high. So people can buy.
0: That's interesting, because I, I, I would say that based on that Theory and, and the information shared. Canada is very similar. Where, yeah. uh, you know they they're very risk adverse um, Americans tend to have uh, see it, go after it, and take it down and move to the next thing quickly. Yeah. So I think everybody carries their own value, but there's not very many countries that have the same uh, mindset financially. Uh, the American, uh, the U.S. is very much driven around finance. Their whole country
1: is. And, the whole country.
0: Yeah. And that's what makes the U S the global power that they are exactly but the rest of the countries are a lot more reserved and mm-hmm. even COVID has really pulled a lot of countries back even further because uh, even though they know 95% of the countries made up a small business, the risk factor is very reduced because that's what they teach you mm-hmm. um, to save for rainy days and not to invest in things that seem crazy. But the ones that have been the most successful happen to be the ones that are a lot more innovative and more crazy and uh, Completely. yeah and you usually find that Americans don't have a problem jumping on that because the risk factors there because they've been brought up on paying for themselves, taking care of themselves that money's only as far as you can find it and build it and grow it and make it happen whereas the rest of the world is go get a job, work for this company and get your money and put it in a bank account and save exactly. up so it's a tough space to be maneuvering in but i think you're right that there's a lot of uh, Opportunity to pick up some great and great companies to invest in if you're open to it and you can handle the risk.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, the
0: personal side questions, which is always my favorite, uh, only hmm. because it's only something I recently started doing a couple of maybe a month ago. So, uh, the best way, the, the first question is what is your first favorite sports team?
1: Uh, sports team, it would be, um, you know, it would be right now, right now it's Mercedes, um, you know, McLaren, um, you know, uh, Hamilton without any doubt. Hey, which team was that? Mercedes McLaren. So, uh, Formula One, uh, yes. Champion, you know, Grand Prix. Hamilton That's is by far. Yeah.
0: I was just like, really? All right. I like that. Yeah, that's good.
1: Yeah, my my favorite sports team right now, they've managed to crack everything.
0: Yeah, I like it. That's brilliant. Okay, um, what is your favorite movie and which character would you play in the
1: movie? <laughs> uh, that's a funny one. <laughs> <laughs> what's my favorite movie? I don't know what's my favorite movie. Uh, uh, I think... Um, um yeah i know i know um i don't know the uh the name in um in english let me just look it up for you i just want to make sure i can share with the audience in the oh yes actually it's actually so the uh in-touchables, uh intouchables okay intouchables yeah and uh so and i would play um i would play the uh the main character which is the funny guy along you know working for the uh uh, disabled man you know doing some crazy stuff uh making people laugh uh, and giving you know giving uh, you know Omar see uh, so so Omar see the, uh, the the main uh, the main um, actor you know doing some crazy stuff making everybody love and go outside of their comfort zone to the point that it actually is enjoyable
0: so That's, untouchables is the is the I want to make sure I got the right movie here
1: yeah the the untouchables yeah
0: the Untouchables,
1: which is from 1987? Uh, September 2020, 2012.
0: 20, 20, uh, 20, uh, oh, 2012. So I got the wrong one here. Okay, so I'm not finding the right movie here. What's Yeah,
1: the- there you go. Um, drop it here, The Untouchables. Uh, and uh, I even share with you the trailer because if you didn't see it, then uh, it's a must, uh, it's a must watch.
0: All right. And you're going to play the, uh, Oh, Intouchables. Oh, I remember this movie. I saw this. Yeah. Yeah. This movie was fantastic.
1: It's amazing movie. It's, it's, it's everything in one movie. You've got nice cars. You've got good lofters. You've got somebody who's was, was super wealthy and, and, and fortunately very, very bored because of his, uh, uh, because, uh, his, um, um, you know his health yep. and um, and in the end he has so much funds with without even thinking of the money because just somebody super poor is giving that person so much good time
0: yeah no I so, thought it was a brilliant movie yeah it came up an amazing
1: so amazing you, so you would play
0: you'd play uh, Driss
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah Omar Sy right yeah, yeah. he had a good character he was and he Fantastic actor too. I really like that.
1: Yeah, he's a very good guy.
0: Well, that's brilliant. All right. Well, so, Kevin, I want to thank you very much for your time today. Um, as I always do, I took lots of notes. Uh, <laughs> big fan. So, thank you very much for that. We're going to see you at Skip the Line on on December first at two p.m. Eastern. That's so right. We're excited to uh, to have you join us there.
1: Yeah, and, you team, uh, team booked me up.
0: And what I what I like to leave the, the end of the show with is I like to leave you the last words. So anything you want to share to entrepreneurs or to investors, uh, the floor is yours. Feel free to uh, share. Yeah.
1: yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I guess the last uh, the last words, uh, two words is uh, have fun. Just have fun. This is so hard. To make it more complex than what it is, you are dealing with human. It's completely irrational. So make sure that you have fun all the time. Find this somewhere what, to
0: have fun in this process, right?
1: This is what this is what matters in the end. And do work only with people that you have fun with. If you don't feel comfortable with the people in the room, you should not take their money. And uh, yeah, that's what that's the most important bit here.
0: I love it. Well, great last so, words, Kevin. Thank you very much again. Uh, fantastic. Uh, lots there to learn lots to to regurgitate and take in, but I love the idea about microfinancing, man. It's a, it's a different way of looking at things and it it can allow companies to move and pivot quicker and get into the right space. So I appreciate your time again. Thank you. Thanks Jeff. It's been fun. Well, that was awesome. I big fan of Kevin and what those guys are doing. I love their platform. I love the idea of restructuring the finance, doing it in, in micros. I talked about the onion peeling back the layers. There's lots of different layers where people are gonna get involved. Fail fast and win. I think that's a, a great way of looking at things.